The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. This episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show has been brought to you by OrchardPeople.com, your online source for fruit tree care education and inspiration. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, everyone. I remember the first time I ever ate an avocado. Now, I didn't grow up with this delicious tropical fruit. It was in my early 20s when my friend Shira offered to make me a sandwich when I was visiting her home. I thought she'd make me a tuna sandwich or a cheese sandwich or maybe egg salad. But then I saw that the filling she was slathering on the fresh bread was bright green. Now, I'll be honest with you, the color really put me off. I had never eaten anything that color before. But then I had my first bite of an avocado sandwich and my world changed. To this day, I really enjoy this rich and healthy tropical fruit. So now let's fast forward a few decades to another first for me, and that was the first time I ever tasted the native fruit from our beautiful North American pawpaw trees. Now, as with the avocado, as a young person, I had never heard of this tree. So it was crazy to think that pawpaw trees are native to large parts of North America, from the eastern edges of Texas to Florida and all the way up to southern Ontario. The fruit is absolutely delicious, sweet and silky, and it tastes like a mix between mango, vanilla, and banana. So when I heard that the Toronto chapter of Slow Food International was having a pawpaw tasting, I rushed to buy a ticket. Slow Food is a global organization whose mandate is to preserve local food cultures and traditions. So I went off to the pawpaw tasting. And the man leading that tasting was Paul DeCampo, a self-proclaimed pawpaw propagandist who is one of the two guests on my show today. And he's going to talk to me about his vision of bringing this amazing tree back to our community. Welcome to the show today, Paul. Thank you so much, Susan. I'm so happy to be here. And now, while I discovered pawpaws later in life... My second studio guest was brought up eating pawpaw as a child. 
Isaac Crosby grew up in an Ojibwe reserve in Ontario, and pawpaws were part of his community's traditional diet. Historically, these trees were seen as a fail-safe food, a crop that always produced reliably, even when other crops may have failed. Isaac now works for Evergreen Brickworks here in Toronto and leads Aboriginal programming at that fantastic site. Isaac, welcome to the studio. Hello, thank you, Susan. I'm so happy to have both of you guys here. Now, today, before we dive into today's show, I want to hear from you, the listeners. During the show, you can email us with your questions, comments, or your pawpaw stories. When did you first taste a North American-grown pawpaw? Do you grow these trees yourself? Email us during the live show, and you will be eligible to win today's contest. The prize is a copy of this beautiful hard copy book, hardcover book, Ground Rules, 100 Easy Lessons for Growing a More Glorious Garden. Now, it's valued at $19.95, but we will send it to you if we choose your name at the end of this show. So send us an email right now to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And do remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. So now let's dig into today's topic. Paul, can we start with you? Um, you heard my story about how mm -hmm. I discovered Papa's thanks to you. Um, how did you discover pawpaws? Well, I discovered pawpaws in the native trees of Canada. I discovered them on a page, not, not in reality, unfortunately. I, had, I grew up in a family that was in the produce business. Uh, my, both my grandfathers were farmers. Uh, we're, we're in Niagara in the native, you know, in the native uh, place where pawpaws grew or still grow. But I had never tasted them nor heard of them. And, uh, it, you know, it piqued my interest so much because we had always kind of prided ourselves on being the first to taste everything that came into the market. And remember when rapini came in and when avocados came into the market and when kiwi fruit and star fruit and all those things first appeared here. Uh, and this was kind of our native exotic that I had never experienced. So it was part of a schoolyard naturalization pro project and really part of more broadly of using native plants to restore habitat. And so there is, there is that broader uh, value of these trees as well. Of course, because they are native, uh, they're co-evolved with uh, all the insects and diseases that, uh, that are here, so they're not susceptible to them. And, uh, and they host uh, many important species as well. So tell me something. So you read about it in a book. Mm -hmm. There was this naturalization project in your neighborhood or something. What did you guys do? You never heard about this tree and you go and you buy it and you plant it? Or how well, did that happen? Well, this was the early 90s. So for me, the early days of the of the Internet. <laughs> and I did track someone down through through the interweb in the, of, the, of that day. You know, very, very uh, uh, bare bones in those days. Uh, and found someone in Niagara, and we had just, you know, we, we, were, we were lucky. We had just moved into a new home. We had a front yard that was kind of, that had been lawn, and of course we didn't want to have lawn anymore. We don't have any lawn, and it's a, such, a, such a poor use of the small space that we had in, in our urban setting. Uh, so we wanted to plant it with native trees. And uh, we also wanted to obscure the view to our neighbor across the street. Uh, and uh, when I came home, we, I came home not with two trees, but with two sticks, mm. as my partner mm -hmm. so, kindly, uh, so kindly described them. And uh, so it took about 10 years. Oh, my gosh. So the, the next ingredient is patience. 
It yeah. is truly a slow food. Okay, <laughs> it's very slow. So it took 10 years. So you planted these trees. Your partner's okay with it, even yes. though they look like two little sticks. Um, what did they look like as they were growing up, as you're nurturing these two little sticks? What, what are they looking I like? I think the first thing that, that I noticed about them was just how, how distinctive the leaves are. They look like no other tree. And I have had a number of people uh, just walk down the sidewalk and if look at them, and then the bravest among them go, like, what tree is that? I think I know all the trees, but I, I've never seen something with such a long feather-shaped leaf. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, my, my friend who spent a lot of time in Mesoamerica around cacao trees uh, really, j- really notes how similar they are to cacao as well uh, in their structure. So they mm-hmm. are a very un- unique-looking tree. Uh, and, the, and then uh, when the blossoms came out, the blossoms are also fascinating as well. They're very dark maroon color. Uh, I believe they're mimicking uh, meat uh, because they are pollinated by midges uh, that are attracted and blowflies, which are attracted to dead meat. So what do they smell like? Do they smell like dead meat? So people, they don't if really I were smell to... like dead meat, I have to say, but they are, they, they, they are a little acrid smelling. <laughs> right. You know, they're, they're, they're certainly not fragrant like a, an apple blossom. Right. Okay. Yes. So you plant this tree mm-hmm. and you're hanging in there and you're waiting and yes. you're waiting. Yes. You're waiting. Did mm-hmm. you at some point did you kind of almost lose your enthusiasm for this great idea of planting a pawpaw tree? No. I think we we're, there there were many other things going on and I was very hopeful and I and you know it was just as you know I was reading more and more say uh, of the work that Lorraine Johnson was doing and other great uh, authors were doing around native plants and I would start accumulating references to pawpaw and when and the more I read about them and and the more I, I read descriptions of of their flavor the more I was just I was anticipating I didn't I couldn't lose interest because I was just kind of salivating every year and then there was frustration because for a couple of years we got some blossoms but no fruit set. And so actually getting pollination, especially on isolated trees in an area where there's really no native, uh, no, no other surrounding trees that could cross-pollinate with them, uh, it took a long time. So finally, mm. the day comes mm. that you start to see fruit forming. Tell me about what year was that and what was going on for you? That was 2004. Uh, I was involved in agriculture at that point because I was working in the wine industry. Uh, so I was back and forth to Niagara a lot and really felt that I was, you know, kind of telling this, the agricultural story in our urban setting. And this was another part of that story. Uh, and so a- as they formed, we got very excited. I did, uh, you know, the, the, small, uh, the small mammals do like to climb up and down the trees and uh, sometimes knock them off before they're fully ripe. So that was a little bit of a frustration, especially when you're, you know, and we would count the fruits, right? At the end of, you know, we'd say, oh, we have 15 this year, you know, and then, and then there's attrition through the whole season, right? And, but when that, those first fruits did ripen and you could smell they were ripe and you could feel they were ripe, uh, they became very highly prized in our in our and jealously guarded. Oh yes, w- w- within our mm-hmm. household as well. Yes. Okay. So in your household, mm-hmm. you've got your first ripe fruit. Is this actually the first time you taste a pawpaw, your yes. own fruit? Yes, I had never. T- I hadn't at that point. Uh, there were no. I hadn't uh, yet to see them at farmers markets. 
you know, Forbes Wild Foods does have some now. And now there are some other farmers who are growing them in, in um, uh, more commercial quantities. But at that point, not at all. So what did you think? I was just blown away. The, the flavor is so mystifyingly uh, exotic, so mm-hmm. tropical in its character. Uh, the texture is so silky and smooth. And as they get ripe, they get this really beautiful creme brulee character. There's a bit of a roasted character to them that uh, is just really satisfying and really enhanced and attractive. And then, of course, you want to multiply your pleasures by sharing them. So that's really when I uh, started to do work through Slow Food and other organizations to uh, to really share share the beauty of the of that uh, harvest. So we have a question here from Carl. I don't know where Carl is from, but Carl says, "Hello, Susan. Just tuned in. I'm not sure if this question was answered already. All right, how did the name Pawpaw Fruit come about? Thank you, thank you, Carl. So anybody know the answer to that one? The the first thing I would say is that. If you've read the Jungle Book or seen the movie, they do talk about pawpaws in that movie because pawpaws, uh, pawpaw is a regional term for papaya. So in many in many parts of the world, pawpaw and papaya are are, are interchangeable. So it's just uh, important to make clear that this is distinct from papaya. These are a different species, different plant altogether. Where the name come from? I'm assuming it has indigenous roots. Uh, there are pawpaw, uh, there are towns called pawpaw uh, hmm. in the United States, both in Ohio and West Virginia. Uh, and so it's, it's, that name's been around a long time. And so, th- which leads me to believe, although I don't have verification, that it is an indigenous name. Hmm. Interesting idea. Hmm. Um, also, I think it's also called uh, custard apple. Custard or, apple. Yes. Custard yes. apple, or there was another name. Uh, I can't remember, but so it does go by different names. But mm-hmm. yeah, perhaps, perhaps it has an indigenous background. We've got an email here from Cliff, and Cliff asks, "Are there different pop-up varieties? Aha! Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And is there a flavor difference amongst different pawpaws? And I think that's a great question. Hmm. Well, there are certainly different cultivars that that have been developed, and there's been a lot of research into this uh, at at some of the universities in the United States, uh, and and so there have been selections made and improved varieties and grafted varieties that are available to the ambitious home uh, the home orchardist. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I also want to say to everybody, we are on realityradio101.com, and we are also on Facebook Live. So if you are listening to us on the radio, you can also watch us and uh, and see the conversation. And I can see we've got some great, beautiful people listening to us and looking at us on Facebook Live. I want to say hi to Nina, to Sadie, uh, to Balwant, for, to Corinne, Maggie, and Mark. Thank you so much for tuning in. And joining us today. Okay, so I just want to talk to you. Uh, one more question for you, uh, Paul, before we go a little bit into the history of the pop-up. But when we spoke earlier, you talked about your fascination with pop-up. It was mm. not just that it was an interesting fruit. Tell me about when you were young, uh, the fascination you had. You know, I, I grew up in St. Catharines. And I grew up, uh, you know, through the 60s, uh, and our, my, my parents' first home, the home I was born into, was built on my grandfather's uh, fruit farm, and because he had just subdivided it. And this was in the 50s that we were already paving over all that prime uh, fruit-growing land in Niagara. 
you know, in addition to, to you know, uh, building the QEW through some of the best farmland uh, that, that we have in our whole country uh, for growing tender fruits anyways. And so very, so we were growing up, you know, it was very clear that we were on this, this, what had been a farm. There were four cherry trees in the backyard. I could only climb the sour cherry tree, unfortunately, because uh, it was the one with the lowest crotch. Uh, but what that what that taught me from an early age was that this was a, a landscape in transition and that it had changed from being a farm to a residential area. And I think what twigged even then, and I think probably more unconsciously but increasingly consciously, was that the nature of this disturbed landscape lead, led, led me to imagine uh, back into history. And so, okay, so this is residential now, and it was farm, but it was something else before that. And it really kind of opened up this uh, historical context of the land. And I think that I could feel those reverberations of history and of all the human culture that uh, predated my standing on that in that landscape. And, I, and this really crystallized for me through uh, reading uh, Charles C. Mann's book, 1491, uh, where he has uh, three main, three main, uh, in, which is about pre, uh, pre-Columbian North America. And he has three main theses. Uh, and said that when he was writing about 2010, uh, compared to about 50 years before, the scientific and archaeological uh, knowledge had changed. And it had changed uh, in three ways. One, that the number of people who had been in North America pre-contact was much higher than, than original estimates, that the duration of habitation of humans in North America was much longer and much deeper. And we're, every few weeks, it seems, we're finding more evidence of that, of older and older uh, uh, remnants of, of human civilization that really say that, that really prove that we didn't come. We didn't come twelve twelve thousand uh, years ago on the Siberian uh, ice passage, and that this, in I think more, most apropos here, that this was not an un, untouched wilderness. This was a landscape that humans had interacted with for for millennia through fire, through purposeful planting, uh, through uh, uh, transferring plants from one place to another. Uh, that th- that it had been sculpted for our food needs, and I think that reflection is really shown in Niagara. That that Niagara is one of those areas that has very deep uh, human popul human uh, settlement. And I think that that's really interesting. And I think that's really one of the things I want to get across in this show is thinking about our landscapes in terms of what they were. In the past, uh, they provided for us. The earth was our mother, right? Like right now, our mother is the local supermarket. Everything's wrapped in plastic. And everything was provided for the people of this land or wherever we came from and wherever we lived. And I think the magic for us of the papa is to give us a glimpse of where we came from and where we could be going to again, in a good way, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a really beautiful comment from Dan Bissonette. Now, Dan was on this show previously. We have gone into lots of detail with him about how to grow pawpaw trees, and I think it's episode 19. I'm not sure. Now, Dan writes, Hello, Dan here. As I understand the historical context of the name pawpaw, this is interesting, it was named by Spanish explorers who ascribed that name as a stylized nickname 
in reference to the similarities to papayas. And he says, enjoying the show. And Dan, we are enjoying having you as a participant in the show. Thank you so much. So that's a really interesting link. And Carl also wrote to say, wrote us to say, because I said, hey, Carl, I don't know where you're from. He's from Aurelia, Ontario. Thank Love you, Carl. Him. So I want to, let's look at the time. Let's take a minute and go back in time. We've got Isaac here. Hello. Now, Isaac, you are not an old man. You are a young person yourself, but you managed to have more interactions with Papa's than, than Paul and I, because yes. this was something that you got at your grandfather's or great-grandfather's knee. Can you tell us how you first uh, tasted a Papa? Sure can. Hi, everyone. I'm Isaac Crosby, just again. Um, so my first tasting of Papa was with my, my great-grandfather on my mother's side. Um, so I was about like, between five to seven, maybe six years old. And coming in, all of us, we would go to my great-grandparents' place and just hang out with them, talk with them. And he had this fruit sitting on the table. And we looked at this fruit, and we're like, well, what's that? Because we called him Papa Wilson, so Papa. Papa, uh -huh. Papa, what's that? Papa, Papa. And he said, it's a Papa. Exactly. It's a Papa. We're like, oh, you're making a joke at us, and you're you know, teasing us. He goes, no, 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 it's a Papa. Do you want to try it? We're like, sure, we'll try something new. And you're kids, you don't really want to try something new, especially if it's not an apple or an orange or a strawberry or a blueberry. You're like, oh, I don't want to try that. He's like, no, come, you, you can try this fruit. This fruit has been, been eaten by our people for thousands of years. Okay, perfect. So when we tried as kids, my first thing, it was slimy. Aha, uh -huh, mm, that's right. Mm. It is a little bit it was slimy. slimy. It's kind of mango-like yeah. in that way. Uh, not really, but yeah. I, I never had mangoes at that point in time in my yeah. life. Yeah. And so that thing, I was like, this is slimy, Papa. Why yeah, Why would I eat this? It tastes good, but it's slimy. I don't think I like it. He goes, don't worry. If, 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 if there's more of them, you'll eat more of them. You'll like them in the future. Hmm. Interesting. So this is your great-grandfather. Mm -hmm. Now, you have a really super interesting background. You're from a farming community, but you're from a really mixed, interesting history. Tell yes. me a little bit about your community's history. Okay. Well, I come from the Ojibwa, the Ojibwa of Anderton from southwestern Ontario. If you guys know where Windsor, Ontario is, we're a half an hour south of Windsor. We, um, well, we're the ones that took in the fugitive slaves from back in the 1800s, 1830s. Mixed, married, and mingled. Now you have all people, a lot of people look like me, lighter skin. Like if people meet my mother, they think my mother is my girlfriend. Yeah, uh, really? Because she's light skin, she has freckles and auburn hair. Oh my goodness! I'm like well, that's my mother. I go, that's your mother. I go, yep, that's <laughs> my youthful mother. Mom. Very youthful. Yeah. She had us when she was young. Wow. Mm. She did. She did have us. I will say this, mom, and tell tell the world on you. She had us by the time she was nineteen. She had four of us. Wow. Mm. Oh my goodness. Yes. So I grew up with my mother. Wow. I'm forty-seven now. Oh, my goodness. You mm -hmm. grew up with your mom. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. So the background is a mix between Ojibwa and black. Yep. A black fugitive slave yes. ran away from slavery. Yes. You guys mixed. You were fruitful. You multiplied. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> and you were living. Uh, what kind of environment were you living in in that time when you were a little guy? Uh, so in a country environment. I was living out in the right. country in Harrow. So living, living and playing in ditches. Right. Um, we didn't. I didn't end up moving to Windsor until we were a little bit older. So Windsor, Windsor's a, the major city of that area. is only a half an hour north of Harrow, Ontario. So you are from a farming community, yeah. and you brought something. And I just I'm fascinated by this because it. it I, I sometimes believe that artifacts really feel. You can feel your history in the artifacts. So tell me what you have right there. All right. So in front of me right now, if I can show it to the camera, people can see online. This is a. How do I say this? So this tool, I'm starting at the beginning. This tool is given to me by my grandfather. And this tool was used for when we're carving, taking the fat off the hides, as we're stretching the hides out. This is deer, right? This is deer hides, or yeah. 
we you do for making beaver hats to scrape the the fat off there and keep to keep the fur. Also, we use this. He would use this for part of his gardening as well. He'd take this this pit right here and kind of make a hole, put the seeds in there, as corn seeds, stuff like that. It was also used for. He said he he would use it as as a war something for war like that. <laughs> you have your blunt area and your sharp area. So he's had this for a long, long time. Right. And then one year. I saw it. I saw it all my life. I've always seen it sitting on the cabinet. And I was like, oh, I like that over there, but I'm not going to talk about it. So one year, I finally got to the nerve and said, Grandpa, what is that right there? He goes, oh, this rock thing right here? And he said, yeah. He goes, oh, let's sit down and tell you the story about it. So he told me a story about it, how he lost it, and they found it again. And when he found it again, they were digging and digging in the backyard. And someone pulled this out, and he was like, oh, my, I lost that when he was younger. Mm. So it came back when he was older. Mm. And so now he was, I think Grandpa was about maybe 83 at the time, and he passed this on to me. Wow. Connections between time, hey? Yes. So back to, I'll just get you to go back to yep. the papa. So your great-grandfather, mm -hmm. he grew papa. So tell us how, or did he did he forage for the papas? Like, where did he get his papas okay. from? So he did both, actually. He had two papa trees on his property, and then he foraged as well. And when I was growing up in Harrow, there was still a lot of forest around, not a lot of development. So he would go off and pick, find a pawpaws to pick them. Then we would like we would pick pawpaw fruit. We'd pick the um, it's now a super fruit, the black raspberry, which I to me it was always raspberries to me. Red raspberries were new to me. Mm. Um, we'd always go. We'd pick. We'd even pick asparagus as growing wild everywhere. Wow, that's fun. That's everywhere. Amazing. We never. We didn't really have to grow certain crops, but they grew wild for us. And the wow. pawpaw was one that we grew wild. But as time went on, development came. Those forests dwindled. People came and they, they, they cut everything down. Wow, beautiful. We've got a, an email here from Dawn. And hello, Susan. Very interesting show today. No questions. Listening from Victoria, British Columbia. If you will, please enter me into the contest. Thank you, Dawn. I would be happy <laughs> to enter you into the contest to win this beautiful book, Ground Rules. That's 100 nice. Easy Lessons for Growing a More Glorious Garden. So Dawn is entered. We've got a, an email now from Karen. Hi, such a very interesting show. Who knew? Besides the obvious vitamin and nutrient content in the pawpaw, do you know of any medicinal uses for the fruit? Mm. I mean, like cannabis. P.S. <laughs> Going to try some pawpaw in Waterloo, Ontario. Karen, thank you so much for emailing us. Okay, nutrient content, medicinal uses. Any ideas about that, guys? There has been some research into the uh, cancer-fighting properties of uh, pawpaws, particularly the seeds. Nice. Uh, oh. I, you know, so I, 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 that's as much as I know about it. I know that that research has been done. Right. Yes. Interesting. That sounds great. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I saw recently that there's a new book that's uh, coming out about... Um, uh, Aboriginal, an Aboriginal perspective to plants. Mm. And I think that that might have native plants that might have something mm. about that. Now we've got an email from Lisa, curious about adding pawpaws. So Lisa says, listening carefully, very curious about this pawpaw tree. We have an abundance of black walnuts and old apple and pear trees on our country property. And I'm very curious about adding more indigenous food plants such as pawpaw. Mm. Well, I think it's a great idea. 
my my concern is with the black walnuts. There are mm-hmm. a lot of trees that don't jive well with black walnut trees. So some fruit trees. So maybe if you're going to go for the pawpaw, keep it away from the black walnuts. Wouldn't you sense. say that? That makes sense. Yeah. And where where is this uh, listener? And <laughs> Lisa, where are you? Oh my goodness, uh, she does not say. Lisa, well, email us back and tell us where you're from. Well, I will, I will say on that note, though, that uh, Marvelous Edibles, one of the farming families that comes to farmer's markets in Toronto, they're in Owen Sound, and they're wow. growing pawpaws. So the, oh, okay. the native range of pawpaws, as you said, is really just the, the, the northern part is just the south shore of Lake Ontario, uh, kind of in Niagara. But they're growing them all the way up in Owen Sound. So that that's encouraging mm-hmm. for uh, those who want to try to push the envelope a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess there's pros and cons to that because mm-hmm. I've uh, read an article recently uh, about climate change mm-hmm. and how that is resulting from, like, basically the result is that more of us can grow pawpaw trees in climates that we couldn't before. Certainly. Okay, we've got an email now from uh, Austin, and it's uh, pawpatrician slash black walnuts. Austin says, there was an analysis of pawpaw nutritional value years ago, but it included the skin, so it's not accurate, and another study is underway. Also, pawpaw is juggling, well, I don't know how to pronounce it, but juggalone tolerant. Hmm. It nice. should get along with black walnuts. That is fantastic, fantastic news. Thank you so much, Austin, for sharing that. That's really great. Okay, um, I think it's time. Can we take a few minutes and let's go uh, listen to some words from our sponsors. I really appreciate the sponsoring companies that help us to produce this show. So, you guys, you going to hang in there for a couple of minutes? Sure yes, will. Okay, thank you so much, everybody. You are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101. And I'm Susan Poisner, author of the Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards. And we'll be back right after this break. In healthy soil, there's so much activity going on. Microorganisms thrive, and good bacteria feed on sugars that seep out of plant and tree roots. In return, these bacteria transform nutrients in the soil into fertility that our plants can enjoy. But what if you don't have perfect soil? Those friendly bacteria may not be active, and your plants and trees may not thrive. There is a solution, though. Earth Alive Soil Activator is an organic biofertilizer that contains three carefully selected bacterial strains that will make nutrients in the soil available to your plants. And your plant or tree will thank you with better growth and a better harvest. Earth Alive Soil Activator has been shown to boost yields in crops including avocados, grapes, strawberries, and even guavas. Go to EarthAliveCT.com to learn more about it and let our friendly bacteria bring your growing spaces back to life. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, 
In our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Wiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards. In today's show, we are talking about pawpaw trees, those beautiful tropical-looking trees that are native to a large part of North America, stretching from the eastern edges of Texas to Florida, and all the way up here to southern Ontario. So pawpaw fruit is actually quite perishable. So you're not going to find it in your local grocery store. But if you know the right people, and if you know anyone who grows this lovely tree, you may get to enjoy pawpaws now and again. My guests on the show today are all about pawpaws. With me in the studio is Paul DeCampo, who I call a self-proclaimed pawpaw propagandist, or pawpagandist, and Isaac Crosby, a farmer from the Ojibwe First Nations in southern Ontario, who ate his very first papa at his great-grandpa's knee when he was just a little guy. <laughs> so, in the first part, we started to talk about that papa revival and what's going on. I wanted to talk about the role um, that papas play, not only for us humans and in feeding uh, the population that lives around these beautiful trees, but they also had a role and can have a role again in the environment. Mm -hmm. So, Isaac, do you want to say something about that? Sure. So, the pawpaw tree is the, the only food source for the zebra swallowtail. Now, so, it's a butterfly. It's a butterfly. Now, we have, Mike, I think we have a picture. So, I don't know if Mike can put up a picture of this absolutely gorgeous butterfly. So, let's it's see. Stunning. It's stunning. Yeah. Hopefully, he was going to pop that picture up. Yeah. Awesome. If you it, it, for me, when I tell people to grow pawpaw trees, it's for the zebra swallowtail butterfly. Because hmm. we're spending all this time. I love, I love butterflies. Hmm. I love nature. I love the monarch. We spend all this time um, defending and getting the monarch back. Now our swallowtails are declining. Mm -hmm. So now we have to take care of them. When you see the picture of them, it's a beautiful butterfly. Oh. I mean, butterflies are beautiful by themselves. But imagine seeing this flying by you as you're in your mm -hmm. garden. Mm -hmm. When we were kids, we saw those all the time in Harrow. 
Really? Mm. Just floating by. Going really? By. I only saw about five of those and I, since I've been living in Toronto. Mm. Interesting. So if we bring back the pawpaw tree, then hopefully we can see more of those butterflies. Yes. And it just goes to show how, you know, nature and humans and animals and wildlife, we are all integrated. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to ask you, Paul, about the ideal environment to put mm. a pawpaw tree. Well, well, pawpaws are advantageous for urban uh, growers because they don't require full sunlight, unlike most fruit trees. So uh, I, I initially cited mine, I, I see my front yard as a, as a forest edge garden. So I kind of uh, put the pawpaws quite close to the front of the house. Uh, so they get, they get uh, full sun for half the day and they're happy there. Mm -hmm. uh, when they're young, they'll actually tolerate quite uh, like about uh, two thirds uh, shade. So, you know, the, the woman who is, uh, you know, we've, we've determined that we can plant them underneath uh, black walnuts. And that's a, that would be a really great site for them. Black walnuts are an indicator plant, an indicator tree for deep, fertile soil. Uh -huh. And so pawpaws would thrive there as well. So that would be a really great uh, companion plant. Nice. So it's just flexible. It's, it's good in that sense. And, and I know mm. growing fruit trees that they are, can be so fussy. And definitely if you don't have enough light, you really can't grow your mm -hmm. apple trees, your cherries, your apricots and stuff like that. But pawpaws are an option. We have a couple more emails. We've got one from what, Ralph. Ralph says, hi. I've heard that the pawpaw fruit has a very short shelf life, meaning that they have to be eaten within weeks. Is that true? By keeping them cool, say in the fridge, would that help them to last longer? And um, Ralph is writing from Atlantic City, New Jersey. Fantastic. Well, the one thing, uh, pawpaws to me are much like bananas. And I find that if you do, if they are picked too young, uh, they never really fully develop full ripeness. And I don't think that they like being cold the same way bananas don't like being cold. Now, I've done my, very, you know, I've done my own research, but you know, unlike bananas, which is a billion-dollar international industry, no one's done that hard work of testing what would be the optimum post-harvest treatment for pawpaws to extend its shelf life. Uh, certainly, you can pick it a little bit underripe and extend its uh, shelf life two to three weeks. Uh, but I think putting it in the cooler, I really think it interrupts its ripening cycle, and you don't get that full conversion of starches to sugars that would normally happen in the in the fruit. I think that's partly what makes pawpaws so precious, right? Mm -hmm. You've got a limited amount of time. You know they're not going to be shipped around the world. And you, you just pig out. You just, and you know what? I don't think you get sick of them. No. You know, it's like when we have a cherry harvest in our orchard and we're eating cherries and we're eating more cherries mm -hmm. and we're eating more cherries and it kind of affects your tummy after a while. It's like no more cherries. I don't know, but I don't think that happens with pawpaws. You never know. I haven't had a It would be nice to have enough out. to find out. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> in your pawpaw pig out. Okay, we have a really cool email. Hi from Dublin, Ireland. So this is from Shane. Hi, Shane here from Dublin, Ireland. I just wanted to say hi and love the topic today. So much to know about a relatively unknown fruit to most folks. Thanks. Thank you, Shane, for writing us. That's so cool. You got to come to Canada or the United States to taste some pawpaws mm -hmm. in pawpaw harvest season. And when is pawpaw harvest season? Oh, oh. me. I totally blanked on that for some other reason. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... My first pawpaw was, like, I want to say September when I had mine. Mm -hmm. September. Yeah, 
And, yeah. then, and as we get further north, it seems to get yes. it gets a little later in the season. Uh, I wanted to mention at some point during the show, I have uh, written down the date. There is uh, actually in Ohio, there is an annual Pawpaw Festival. Nice. Road trip. And they yes. have <laughs> <Let's go. laughs> all sorts of exciting Pawpaw events, cook-offs, and you make Pawpaw baking and papa salsa and they have competitions and all that stuff and i just think to myself what if the harvest is late what would they do so i'll put that later on in the show i'll put a date for that now we've got an email from gail uh and it's titled american folk song Hmm. did you folks know that there is an actual american folk song that was written Regarding harvesting pawpaw fruit, I looked it up online and it's great. <laughs> I'm from Regina, Saskatchewan. Thank you. Ah, mm-hmm. I have for I, I, when I've spoken about pawpaws to people from the states, that some of them will recall this kind of childhood song of "Way Down Yonder in the Pawpaw Patch." Yes, yes. and yes. pawpaw patch is interesting mm. because the it's, other thing, and I wanted to know, yeah, Paul, if you found. Yes. If you found with your trees, they call, they say pawpaw patch because pawpaws sucker a lot. They mm-hmm. spread. Mm-hmm. Have your pawpaws started to sucker on you? Tell me what that's like. It's fantastic. Oh, uh, there, the, my fr- and and it was it was useful because I had out of the two original trees, I'd cut one down uh, because I had poor information about pollination at that <laughs> point, and it took a couple of years uh, for the seedlings to come up or the saplings to come up and set uh, blossoms before I started getting fruit again. So they, they, they do spread by root shoots. Uh, I have a tiny urban front yard that's pretty well full of pawpaws. Uh, how right many now. trees nice. do you think you have? You started with two. I started two. I probably have, and I've dug some up over the years. I probably still have about 20. 20 in that little front yard i've seen his front yard it is super small it's like what 12 by 12 feet um okay we have an email here from harry so it's entitled papa harry says hi everyone if folks are still not sure that papa is a great fruit consider this I am a nutritionist in Andover, New Jersey, and pawpaw is a good source for vitamin C, magnesium, and vitamin A. So it is a great fruit to supplement any diet. Thanks. Thank you, Harry. Thank you. If only we could get our hands on enough of them, (laughs) we could get so much vitamin C, we would have a great time. We would be super healthy. Okay. Now, I've got another email here from Austin. This is interesting. Since pawpaws are highly perishable, they can be kind of hard to preserve. Mm. To store the pulp, it's typical to process and then freeze it. They can then be frozen. Oh, they can be frozen whole, but freezing cuts down on the viability of the seeds. They're often baked into breads and cakes. I use them to replace oil in a slow cooker pineapple upside down cake. Oh my God, that sounds good. That I hope to enter into the Ohio Pawpaw Festival cooking competition, which we have attended since 2014 or so. There are a lot of value added products using pawpaws, such as beers, sauces, jams, etc. Lastly, I should note that you should not dry them into fruit leather. Oh. That has sickened numerous people. It's thought that the drying concentrates the anosaceous acetogenons. Excuse my pronunciation. Thank you very much. And these are compounds unique to the fruit. Papa harvest season is usually September, October, but can be as early as July in the South. Austin, you're an amazing wow. source of information. Yes, I'm so glad you wrote that in. So let's take a second and talk about... Um, 
what you can make, mm. perhaps, with mm. pawpaws. Now, you brought something today with you. I did bring something. Yes. So let's let's before our next commercial break, let's just you tell us what you brought. Okay, fantastic. Uh, well, Tori Warner, who is a farmer down in uh, Vineland area, and as far as I understand, is the has the most pawpaw trees in the ground of any farmer in the country. He has about a hundred, and he keeps uh, building on it. So I purchased some fruit from him because my own trees just aren't enough, <laughs> and uh, and brought them to a place uh, in Toronto called uh, Futura. Gelato, uh, granita and gelato, and a uh, lovely young couple who are making uh, craft gelato products uh, with using fresh ingredients, and uh, they were really happy to collaborate. It's the second year we've done this, and uh, they made a really beautiful, smooth uh, gelato, and it really takes advantage of the banana-y character mm. of the of the fruit, mm. that custardy character, which is really, uh, really, you know, it, it really goes well in a gelato. Okay, guys, so here's the deal. Paul brought us some to taste. And I wish I could offer it to you guys on Facebook Live, but yeah. you can you get to watch us enjoy mm -hmm. it. How's that? <laughs> so why don't you get out our tasting? And in the meantime, we've got another email from um, Lisa. She was the one who said, curious about adding pawpaws. This is curious about adding pawpaws part two. <laughs> she says she's in Iroquois, Ontario, south of Ottawa. Oh, my goodness. And oh yes, she says, I know to keep things away from black walnuts, but now we've discovered, Lisa, you're okay mm -hmm. keeping it with your black walnuts. And she says, please enter me into that contest. That book looks interesting. <laughs> so let's have take a moment. Can cheers. we cheers, everybody? Cheers. So this is our pawpaw gelato. Guys, the guys over there in the studio are like, when do yeah, we get like, oh. <laughs> we, we, We've got some put aside for, for okay, the, the we'll, hard yeah. work. We'll grab crew. ours after. Then. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. 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 Thank you. there's going to be any left for yeah. you. Wow, that looks no, no, amazing. It's already pre-portioned for you. Mm. Oh, my gosh, this is so good. And this is so wow. pawpaw. Mike, yeah. this is coming in there to grab it. We come just on, can't Mike, take come it. Come on in. We can't take it. This I'm sorry. We've got a amazing. couple of holes for those guys, right? Yes. Like, honestly, you know, sometimes when you put sugar and stuff. No, right here. Yep. Oh, here's Mike. Yep. So sometimes when you put sugar and stuff, it all tastes the same. I don't mm -hmm. know if you find that, but mm -hmm. I'm really getting super pop-up. Yes, sugar. this is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, so order your pop-up ice cream <laughs> right now at 7 No, only kidding, You're going to get a lot of calls, <laughs> I'm afraid, Gary. You're going to get lots of calls. Mm, this is incredible. Seriously? Yeah. Out there in Facebook Live land and the rest of the world, I'm in love. you want to try Papa. You really want to try the Papa gelato? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Honestly, I'm glad you guys are enjoying it. This is so good. Thank you so much for being here. Yes. Us. As we say about pleasures, right? Mm -hmm. That's how we multiply them mm -hmm. by sharing, by them, sharing, sharing them, them with more people. Exactly. And guys, we're sharing them with you, listeners. Yes. We are sharing our pleasure of enjoying this Papa gelato <laughs> yes. with you, and I hope you feel the joy. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, while we enjoy our Papa gelato, why don't we go hear a few more words from our sponsors, and then we'll be back, and we'll talk a little more, and we're going to find out who wins the prize. So, you're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show. I'm Susan Poisner. This is Reality Radio 101, and we're having fun. So hang in there and come back in just a minute or two. Hi everyone, congratulations on investing in a new fruit tree. Fruit trees are a blessing. 
With just a bit of skilled hands-on care, they can give you plenty of delicious organic fruit for years to come. I'm Susan Poisner, an urban orchardist from Toronto, Canada. And over the years, I've learned that how we care for our trees when they're young will determine their success and productivity in the long term. If you do want to learn more, there's lots more that I would love to teach you, like how to prune fruit trees of all shapes, ages, and sizes, how to optimize tree health, and various different ways to protect your trees from pests and disease. So check out my website at orchardpeople.com where you can watch free videos and read great blogs about growing fruit trees. Or you can check out my online certificate in beginner fruit tree care, where in just eight hours, including fun and informative videos, interactive quizzes, and information-packed eBooks, you can learn how to keep your tree healthy and productive for years to come. Happy growing from orchardpeople.com. Hi, I'm Mark Cullen with some news about a wonderful lineup of garden supplies and garden tools that will absolutely knock your gardening socks off. They're called Mark's Choice, and they're exclusive to home hardware, 1,100 stores coast to coast to coast. Mark's Choice features great quality products that will not only last years, but in some cases will last a lifetime. Look for my various garden gloves, Stainless steel garden tools, stainless steel digging tools, my new garden backhoe, and many, many others. As a matter of fact, there's over 160 different products in the Mark's Choice lineup. I'd love you to try them all, but start by sampling one that appeals to you. Drop by your local home hardware, have a look at the Mark's Choice lineup of tools and garden supplies, including my line of garden soils, and decide for yourself. Great quality lasting quality, and a great gardening experience. That's what I strive for with Mark's Choice. Look for it at Home Hardware. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, author of the Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards. My guests today are Paul DeCampo and Isaac Crosby, and we are talking about pawpaws, their history, their renaissance, and their beautiful and delicious taste. So before we dig in, guys, there are just a few more minutes that you have an opportunity to enter our contest for this week this month. So if you send us an email now to ask a question, to comment, to talk about Papa's, or just to say hi, you could win a copy of this beautiful book. It's called Ground Rules, 100 Easy Lessons for Growing a More Glorious Garden. 
So if you want to enter the contest, send us an email right now at instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to put your first name and where you are writing from. So we've been talking about pawpaws in all different ways, shapes, and forms. But I wanted to uh, ask about pollination. Now, I know, Paul, you've had some challenges mm -hmm. uh, having your trees pollinate. So, so what were the solutions that you came up with? Well, well first is under understanding the biology. So that the blossoms start off in a, a female phase. And if they're not pollinated, then they move into a male phase. Uh, and that, that way that the same flower can't pollinate itself. Uh, and it's not, I, I think it's technically possible for, for blossoms from the, uh, the same tree to, uh, to pollinate, but it's not ideal. So uh, what I, uh, after having some frustrations and poor fruit set for a number of years, uh, last year I, I really uh, dove into some hand pollination. And I did it in, uh, along with another gentleman uh, who had planted trees about 10 years ago, and he's been getting blossoms but has not been getting fruit. Uh, Andrew Bell is his name. And uh, he came to that same slow food tasting uh, all those 10 years ago or whatever. And uh, so this year he brought me some blossoms that were in the male phase. And, uh, and I gave him some to take back to his trees. And then, uh, then just using a paintbrush, I went and broadcast that. All the, all the, the blossoms that were uh, apparently still in the female phase, just touched them with the, the brush and got some pollen on them. And indeed, I got really uh, much more extensive and distributed fruit set than I had ever had before. And on some of the younger trees, which had never set fruit either. So uh, I, I'm really encouraged by that. And I'd really like to work uh, to uh, collaborate uh, with Isaac, my uh, papa pal here. Uh, <laughs> papa pal. <laughs> uh, in, in order to organize something at Evergreen Brickworks, which yes. is such a great hub of good food culture and, and growing culture, uh, to get people to come uh, who have planted trees, because a number of people have planted trees the last 10 years, but perhaps not, not ha have not had fruit yet, and we could exchange some of that, that uh, pollen. And mm -hmm. I think that would both uh, improve our fruit set, but also uh, make the genetics uh, more resilient by crossing the genetics as well. So my question is, what did you actually do? Did you cut a branch off your tree and go to Andrew's place mm. and it was blossoming? And how could you tell that it was in the female or male phase? So when they're, uh, well, you can kind of track that they're, they're first kind of pale green and then they open they get uh, progressively darker into that, that uh, dark uh, um, burgundy kind of color. Uh, and so early in, in that, they, they're, they're tight and closed. They start to open. When they first open, the inside is sticky and, and bright green. And then uh, after they've opened and the, the leaves start to turn a little darker and more leathery looking, at that point is when you can see the, the brown pollen has formed on, in the inside of the, of the blossom. Uh, so it's, visually, it's pretty uh, easy it's to clear. tell. Okay. And so then what, what we had just done is we just plucked those later, the, 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 the blossoms, uh -huh. and just put them in a little container huh. and to transport them. So it's very easy to transport. Hmm, cool. It's pretty easy. It's pretty uh, clear uh, what phase they're in. Uh, and, you know, I think it's a good, it's a good uh, something I'd love, love to explore more. Cool. Uh, we got a couple more emails I'm going to go through, and then I actually wanted to ask uh, Isaac something as well. But first, Jason asks, 
Hi, somebody told me that using propagation cuttings does not work for pawpaw. Is that true? And Jason is from Las Vegas, Nevada. Wow. So Ooh. anybody answers on that one? Cuttings. I have no yeah. No uh, idea. No. Uh, on uh, uh, all I know is I've tried and I didn't have any luck either. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. And I did use, like, I uh, did it with uh, in water. I did it with willow, which is supposedly, mm-hmm. uh, supposed to induce rooting. Mm-hmm. And I, I even used, like, rooting compound and nothing really? worked. And so from what I've been mm-hmm. reading, so obviously you can grow them from seed. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are also grafted cultivars. So the grafted cultivars, we're going to have a different, they'll have a rootstock, a hardy, nice, strong rootstock. Mm-hmm. They'll have a, a specific variety of papa with a specific flavor that you know is going to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you're growing it from seed, there is going to be some variability as to how delicious it is. Jennifer writes, hi, I'm excited to tune into your show today. In particular, because we have a papa patch that my husband's grandfather planted wow. well over 30 years ago. Two years ago, we took over the property. Our pawpaw patch, with lots of suckering, is approximately 35 feet by 15 feet. Jennifer, can we come over and harvest time? (laughs) Uh, Our first harvest was relatively decent, apparently approximately 40 fruit. But last year's was horrible with only eight fruit. How can we increase our harvest? Our pawpaw patch is approximately 100 feet from our walnut grove. I've also heard that the inside of the twigs ah, has been useful as a treatment for cancer in conjunction with cancer medication, and studies show it is extremely effective. Please enter me into your contest as well. Jen from Chatham. From Chatham. Chatham. Yeah, thank you, Jen. So could it be a pollination problem with the, uh, Mm. she's got so many different types of trees, I wonder. What else could be Mm -hmm. going on? Mm -hmm. Something, Jen, you might want to do is we do have a a wonderful Ontario specialist in pawpaws. He is the subject or the interviewee in one of my shows, the Urban Forestry Radio Show. And it's episode 19. And you might want to reach out to him. Mr. Bissonnette. Mr. Bissonnette. He has the knowledge. He has the knowledge. He's the guy to ask. Now, there was one other email that I think I missed. Uh, Nancy, I think. Uh, Nancy, hi, no questions for today from Chicago, Illinois, but could you please enter me into the book contest? Just saying hi and love your radio show. Thank you, Nancy. And Austin wrote again. Austin is cool. He's got so many good things Mm. to say. Austin says, I'm in DeKalb, Illinois, but I am curious about experiences pushing zone boundaries of the pawpaw. They're hardy to the USDA zone five, but I have had seedlings growing in zone four. I imagine you have a different zone system we do here in Canada. Uh, But I'm very interested in where is the coldest place pawpaws are successfully growing and fruiting in Canada. Now, he said, and we can talk about that in a second, you can get free seeds if you are in the U.S. by contacting people in the pawpaw program at Kentucky State University. Free seeds. Yeah, free Mm. seeds. K-Y-S-U dot E-D-U is their website. Is there a similar program at a Canadian university or a free seed source in Canada? Cuttings are a pretty much 100% failure outside the lab, which is also very minimal. Um, I have had successful transplants. I have successfully transplanted a sucker. So he dug out a sucker and transplanted. But it's labor intensive and not really typically successful. Best practices are from seed, then grafting. Oh, you're awesome. Austin, Mm. 
the awesome person. Mm. So free seeds. So he told us about where to get free seeds uh, in the United States. Can people get free seeds in Canada that they could perhaps turn I'm into trees? Not that I know not of. I don't I know think there's either. any program. Yeah. That what if they contact them? you during harvest time? They could contact me right now. They could contact you I've right got, now. Do I've you got, have I've a got stash? Some in my fridge now. <laughs> yep. And, so, and, and I guess the important thing to know about pawpaw uh, seeds is you never let them dry out. Exactly. You cold stratify them with dirt over the winter. Right. Okay, time for our contest. I'm thinking a minute Gary's going to come in with a thing. Before the contest, I wanted to ask you, Isaac. Yes. The future of pawpaws in your community. I know you have some interesting plans. Yes. Tell me about your plans. What's your goal? Right now you're in Toronto what you're doing, but what is the plan? Well, my plan is to go back home and basically help my people out, get back mm-hmm. to our farming, our traditional farming, and to bring pawpaw back down to to grow in Texas County. I do know there's a few wild trees still growing down there mm-hmm. on people's property, but we need more. I mean, Texas County, I mean, it's southwestern Ontario. Mm-hmm. We get a lot, of, our growing season is a little bit longer than up here, and we have a lot of, a lot of, a lot of fiery more variety of plants could be in the Carolinian forest. So mm-hmm. to go back to, for me so in a couple of years, to go back to, to go back to Harrow and help my people out, get our farming back together and gather my people up. And I think that's amazing because what you're, what you're doing is you're bringing back the, the culture of farming, but you're also bringing back some of the traditional crops. Yes. And I think that's amazing. And I wish you the best of luck in Thank that you. exciting endeavor, <laughs> but we don't want to let you go from Toronto. So it's, we're kind of split here. So it's kind of a challenge. Okay, guys. Who wants to pick the winner today? Or do you want to kind of, you want to pick the winner? I'll pick the winner. Sure. You got to pick the winner. Yay. Okay. Who's going to win a copy of our book? We've got our uh, contestants. And we'll see who the lucky contestant is that wins a copy of Ground Rules by Kate Frey. All right. It is? It is Karen from Waterloo. Karen. This is your book. It's on the way to you. It's going to be winging its way to you. So, everybody, I want to thank you guys so much for coming to the studio thank today. You. And this has been lots of fun. Thank you for mm-hmm. my papa ice cream gelato. <laughs> and uh, thank you for all the listeners and the Facebook Live viewers uh, for tuning in. Uh, again, you can go back. If you want to learn more about papas, go to orchardpeople.com slash podcast and find episode, I think it is 19, with Dan Bissonette. Lots more information in there. And Dan also has a book that you can buy. And what else? Also, if you like the show, would you be able to go to your podcatcher, uh, wherever you get your podcast from, and give us a review, the Urban Forestry Radio Show. If you like it, give us a good one. That would be awesome. And I would really appreciate that. I'm going to say goodbye for now. Uh, We will be back again next month. I've got another amazing guest, perhaps a studio guest as well. So from the three of us, thank you so much. And we will see you guys soon. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Bye, everybody. listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month 
And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees, or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener. And I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.